Hello everyone, welcome to Future Imagined, a foresight podcast dedicated to futures thinking. My name is Sandeep Das and I lead foresight for emerging countries for Mars Wrigley. The topic for today's podcast is the future of consumer experience. Let me tell you about my own journey of consumer experience. The first time I heard about this term was when the first iPhone was launched in 2007. The fact that you could use your thumb to scroll was an outstanding manifestation of consumer experience at that point in time. Over the next few years, I understood consumer experience to be synonymous with the following three experiences. A visit to a fancy airport lounge where you could eat anything you wanted at 6 a.m. in the morning. or watching the latest batman movie in the best cushy seat in a theater or shopping for my first beige colored suit completely online through chatbots and vr tools as i hosted my first literary festival consumer experience means different things to different people for some it may mean flawless checkouts for some it has meant reducing stress and clutter some appreciate the personalization with increasing technology while some absolutely abhor at how far we've gone back from nature now if you google this word consumer experience right now the following phrases will crop up on the first page relationship cognitive sensory engagement empathy digitalization security and surprise surprise inclusion and diversity in today's episode on the future of consumer experience I am going to take a very very different approach to this topic. We will explore this topic through the lens of the exotic sciences as I call them. Behavioral psychology, behavioral economics, neuroscience, semiotics. In case you aren't sure what these subjects mean, you're not alone. Your host and you will learn about them together as we go along the episode. Without any further ado, let our fabulous guests introduce themselves to you. Before they start, I should tell you that I clearly feel like the dumbest person in the room today. And for someone as narcissistic like me to admit it, that says a lot about how fantastic our guests are. My name is Zoe Chance and I'm a professor at Yale School of Management where I teach the business school's most popular elective. It's called Mastering Influence and Persuasion based on behavioral science including all of those exotic sciences that you just named. And I've recently written a book about it which is indirectly how we connected. It. It's called Influence is Your Superpower. I'm Melina Palmer. <laughs> I'm an applied behavioral economist and so essentially helping people to understand the psychology of why people buy, what people are really going to do instead of what we think they should, which often doesn't line up. Hi, I'm Marian St. Laurent and I'm the insight director for the US for Canvas A. My specialization is in commercial semiotics which helps clients understand the outside in context that is influencing brand perception and consumer expectations. So our focus is on tracking sensorial cues and storytelling genres over time to help brands connect to the cohorts and markets they want to connect to. So let me start with an open question and this is an open question to everyone. What is the future of consumer experience in your view? I'm very excited about the metaverse. 
I'm very excited about the virtual experiences that we're going to get to have together. I'm also very interested in how some of those virtual experiences will be not just showing you what the suit looks like so that you can buy the beige suit that you actually have in real life, but in spending more and more time in the metaverse, these experiences will be replacing many of the real world experiences. And in the distant, far, far, far distant future, what I'm really excited about is when somebody will eventually get to scan our brain and then give our own direct experience to another human being. I would say for me that this space of thoughtfulness, and I'm really hoping for being able to see and excited about there being more intention in the work that's being done in consumer experience. I think consumer experience, a lot like marketing, has been a field where in the past people have been able to say, you know, I just feel good about this, right? You don't lean on the sciences as much. And there hasn't been any time in history really where we've been able to know as much as we do and be able to apply that into an area like consumer experience where we can be more intentional and take these theories from academia and really see them in practice. I think largely how consumer experience will evolve has to do to some degree how technology will evolve. I agree with Zoe that there's a lot of opportunity for sort of designed empathy and being, you know, immersed in other people's experience. There's just an enormous amount of experimentation happening with VR and AR, aside from like the metaverse, which is very exciting. I love the idea that we might eventually be able to kind of experience and embody someone else's lived physical experience on the planet. But in terms of consumer goods, like in the shorter term, it's more connected to the platforms and the technology companies that are creating the platforms in each market. So there's some differences between, you know, how that's shaping up in the West versus East. And the markets can also learn from each other. So it's a very experimental moment. It's very exciting. I absolutely love that. And one of the phrases that you use is immersing yourself in someone else's experience. And Zoe, on that, I'm going to come to you. You are the expert on interpersonal influence. But we see this space of interpersonal influence playing out in the field of social commerce, immersing yourself in someone else's experience to the phenomenal rise of influencers that we are having in the world. Zoe, give us your take on how consumer experience and the way we interact with influencers in the future is uh, going to be impacted by the latest academic research in human-to-human persuasion and influence. I've been really interested in how the barriers for production and broadcasting and publication are getting lower and lower and lower so that people anywhere can be producing their own content. Where it used to be just a large company who can produce advertising and it takes a million dollars, right, to produce an ad and nobody else gets to compete with it. And now everyone working in these large companies and marketing is trying to compete with individual human beings all over the world on social media. And that the influencers that you're talking about, many of them are just normal people who figured out how to do something that worked, that connected with a lot of people. And now giant companies are coming to those very, very normal people and saying, you have so much power. Can we give you some money? And can you lend some of your power to us? So it's been a tremendous role reversal. And because of that, there's also 
a great opportunity for us all to be engaging and interacting more with people who are not like us and people all over the world, especially in the global south. That is a fantastic answer. And for people who are listening to this podcast, you will also know your host is uh, trying to appeal to people like him through his own YouTube channel. But I'm going to explore the West versus uh, East angle and Marin, I'm going to bring you in on this. We are increasingly talking about how the West is becoming very different from the East. Now, can you take us through what consumer experience or CX uh, differs from a West versus East perspective? So how is good experience in China or South Korea likely to be different from the part of the world you come from? I think that the East versus West has always been really different. It's not like they're just becoming different now, but there is a lot of competition amongst big tech companies and some of the sort of geopolitical tensions are playing out and how, you know, different tech companies have open market in different countries, right? So consumers are basically using the platforms and the apps that are available to them and innovating user-generated content on those apps. And the features that are within those apps, to some degree, inform new genres of their creativity, right? So For example, in China, there might be WeChat. And I think there's also an app called Red, for example, that allows a sort of virtual shopping experience that has taken off. And that's been happening long before this great digital acceleration that we're experiencing from the pandemic. And then, you know, for example, in a place like Korea, point systems and like loyalty systems are kind of world unto themselves, like a kind of cryptocurrency or alternative currency of themselves. So each market consumer experience is being informed by these mental models that are coming out of, to some degree, the features that are existent in the technology and people are innovating with them. For example, with the metaverse and gaming and in certain categories, increasingly there's Eastern influence on um, Western style. And I think my personal observation is that increasingly we'll have a real polyglot kind of aesthetic in terms of how people are going to be playing and manipulating with sensorial cues and aesthetics just because the technology is increasingly getting us to a place where we can apply artificial intelligence to communicate across cultural and language barriers in a very interesting way. You speak about how platforms, in a way, represent the difference and they represent local cultures, but in a way, they also move across cultures. So, Melina, I'm going to bring you in and ask you the toughest question in this podcast. So, We all talk about the differences, the East versus West, it plays out in technology. But what do you think are commonalities that emerge for human beings across the world as we go through this journey of seeking a great experience from a brand? It's a very difficult question. I know that's why I'm asking you. I was worried about what my question was going to be, but this is definitely a space where (laughs) where I work pretty heavily. While our individual experiences are very important and it is a really exciting time of being able to integrate the differences from one person to the next and being able to have a really customized experience where you're getting feedback and AI is able to capture that information and you know crunch the numbers. At the end of the day, people are people, and the nature that has brought us to be who we are as a species is still underlying everything and is really important to understand. In the pandemic, when there was a point where, you know, toilet paper is already out of stock everywhere, and then they decided that you could only buy three things of meat when you go into the store. 
And I saw that and knew immediately meat's going to sell out. It might not have otherwise, but putting a limit on it. And when people are very uncertain because we're a herding species, social proof is something we'll be able to justify to ourselves and say, well, I'm not this way, but because everybody else is going to go a little bit bananas and go buy all the meat, you know, I might as well stock up, right? Feel like you need some control over something. I know that I can only get three at this store and then I can only get three at that store. I'm not supposed to be in the store, but I feel like I should just in case. But everyone's doing that. And that's why then the lines are so long and there's problems. And then people are talking about it on the news and it's all we see. And then we feel this extra stress and like we have to go do something. That nature is not going away anytime soon. And so understanding those drivers and knowing that they won't always appear exactly the same in every single person, every single context, but they all do still have an impact and should be part of the conversation. Absolutely. All our brains are weird. Most of us are psychos, most likely. That's what she's saying. It's in full English. But I want to explore that lens of nature versus tech. I think she brought that out very well. Zoe, I'm going to come to you. I'm also going to introduce the next exotic science, the world of neuroscience. Let me explore the nature versus tech angle. And Zoe, to the best of your ability. We see there are two tensions at play. We speak about technology. We speak about the need for greater personalization when we interact with the brand through the metaverse, through personalization. But there is also the tendency to log out of technology completely. I'll give you an example. So when I go running in the morning, now I have a watch, I have a phone, the watch is taped to the phone, it's measuring my heartbeat, it's measuring 10 other metrics. I just want to go out for the run without the phone and a watch that just tells the time. There is an increasing trend we see in the world that people are increasingly longing for the good old days when tech was not so permanent in our lives. So where we talk about this tension, too much tech, excessive personalization versus the desire to connect more with nature, how do you think that might play out? It's, it's relevant for all of us on this call. It's relevant for all of us. It's deeply important to me. And I've even given a TED talk on how to make a behavior addictive. And in that talk, I discussed my own technology addiction to a pedometer. And it was this pedometer that I loved and I hated called Strive. And in fact, I can relate to what you're saying immediately right now, because this morning I was taking my dog out for a walk and there was this tension about, am I going to take my phone with me or not take my phone with me? And can I take my phone with me and not feel distracted by my phone? I don't know whether this has been replicated, but some researchers have found that the quality of conversation is degraded by having a telephone on the table. Just because you know that some pings might be there, people trying to grab your attention, they're effectively grabbing your attention even when you're not looking at your phone. And I gave in, I brought my phone on the walk <laughs> with my dog. There are Lots and lots and lots of people, like many listeners will have seen the movie, which I thought is great, called The Social Dilemma by Tristan Harris, about how social media companies are competing to grab and monetize our attention. Many Silicon Valley leaders, or even some of the people who created those systems, don't let their kids go on social media. So what is the answer? Obviously, I can't imagine a world in which we cancel all of this stuff that we've created. But along with everyone else, I will be eager to find out what that looks like. And a big part of that will be having us figure out how to shift the incentives so that there's not so much anger and rage and outrage and bullying and things like that. 
that's a lot of nuance in that answer for people who are listening to this podcast you should know your host is a social media addict but an interesting part of consumer experience and we are all touching about this is uh, that the human brain the biases that exist in the human brain the heuristics that exist in the human brain and melina let's come through a lens of behavioral economics we hear so much about biases we hear about nudges loss aversion prospect theory framing a lot of these things that we talk about how does behavioral economics or behavioral psychology impact at consumer experience in the past and how do you think it will impact in the future i think in the past you've had maybe a few people that are either intuitively able to grasp behavioral cues having a little bit more of that thoughtfulness into what people are going to want and being able to observe in a different way and it felt like they were magic you know like steve jobs right that you mentioned about the iphone and touch screens and what not and this idea of making things as steve jobs said intuitively obvious it's not intuitively obvious to make things intuitively obvious because we think that other people should be logical and they're going to process through everything we give ourselves a lot more credit than what we end up actually doing in the moment. Uh, I think in the past it's been more of a serendipitous sort of a situation that you made something and didn't even really realize why it worked or something that you were sure was going to be amazing and work and was a giant flop. You didn't really get why. And you may be able to do a little bit of a postmortem and try to think about why it went wrong, but there was no real way to know more concretely. So into the future taking the science piece and bringing it into business to where we do know what's the goal what are we trying to get people to do where are they now how are we going to nudge them along the path and what are these little micro moments that we can be bringing things into play and having those suggestions like don't have the phone on the table or knowing that the phone is on the table and how that's going to be impactful whatever those pieces happen to be having more intention more thoughtfulness and focusing on those little tiny moments i think will allow consumer experience to advance in a way that it can be better for consumers and doing good for the companies as well. Thank you Melina. It says a lot about how the future of consumer experience is likely to be. Marian, I am going to introduce the last exotic science which I spoke about which is semiotics and a lot of people who are listening to us will want to understand that how does the science of symbols or semiotics or culture play a role in the evolution of consumer experience and give us a few examples if you can to bring this to life one of the things that's impacting how people are calling for like sort of a, a less mediated relationship with lived time embodied time nature that i just need to mention that you know the pandemic the environmental crisis the climate sort of disaster is the new word that we're using to describe it supply chain disruptions all of these things as well as the development of the metaverse a new aesthetics of the metaverse which has got its own weird funky thing happening is transforming how individuals interact with lived presence presence of other people materials all this stuff so this is a really important element that i just wanted to like kind of add to this discussion but in terms of semiotics i mean it sounds like a very mysterious word i mean the way that it's applied in commerce right the way it functions in academia is a much more refined and eloquent thing 
but for the purposes of transforming consumer perception and also conveying brand meaning with sensorial cues, what it is is a way to analyze how storytelling is evolving and to sort of visualize and um, understand the metaphors, the changing paradigms, the changing color palettes, and look at upcoming developments, which are not visible. They're not yet within the consumer landscape, but let's say policy change, new innovations in nutrition or et cetera, how those will inform the next narrative in a particular category or subcategory of consumer goods. It's a very practical application to track how a theme is evolving over time so that you help a brand team or design team understand how to create an experience that is full of all of these different brand touch points and sensorial cues to convey either functional messaging, like you know, a call to action, or something more emotional and ephemeral. The point of view is looking at brands and products as cultural artifacts that reflect relationships between technology, aesthetics, and money. And basically, from there, when you understand what a brand is, from that perspective, you understand where it exists now and where it can go going forward. That's excellent. So for members of the audience who don't know this, I studied engineering. I'm a computer science engineer, and I've done an MBA after that. But after listening to this conversation, I genuinely questioned my education choices. I should have really studied the exotic sciences. I think I might have done a little better in life than where I am. But Marianne, let me ask you a specific question. So if you look at the Gen Z consumer segment, now they want their brands to take stands on controversial issues, political, social, economic. But somehow the previous generations think of me as a millennial baby boomer. They were not so serious about brands taking stands. Why do you think this happens that there is one generation that wants brands to take so much stand? From a semiotic standpoint, which is an outside-in perspective of consumer cohorts, consumer mindsets, it's actually not the same across all markets. That ideological expectation that you're mentioning that Gen Z expects from their brands is not a global expectation. That is coming from certain markets, and it has to do with the private versus public relationship between industry and government. And in the markets where you have companies with sort of freer movement in terms of how they're impacting policy, you see cohorts that expect them to take a stand, right? Because we understand that the balance is shifting. So in markets where they have more free reign, you actually see cohorts wanting more answers or direction or leadership from the private sector. Absolutely. And it's, it's a very interesting uh, hypothesis. Marian's referring to maturity of an economy and maturity of a political system. So how a Gen Z thinks in New York is very different from how a Gen Z thinks in Dubai. So I want all of you to come together and I'm going to ask the final question. It's again an open-ended one. And Zoe, will start with you. What do you think is one big opportunity and one big risk for companies like us when we have the future of consumer experience in mind? I would say for just about everyone, the one thing that we can do to have a better chance of influencing someone to do the things that we hope that they will do is to make it as easy as possible. So in Cialdini's new and expanded version of Influence, which is worth all 500 plus pages of book that exists there, he added the unity principle to his 
originally, you know, six uh, powers of persuasion. And this unity principle and being able to expand our circles of empathy and be on the same page of teams working together and people working together and showcasing how we are working toward the same goals is something that I'm really hoping is going to be taking root into the future. I think within companies to have it so teams aren't having to be battling one another in siloed departments and can be working toward a common goal that you can have this be a journey with customers and with you know people who would be otherwise different. I know there was talk already about on social media and things that are fueled by trolls and hate. I would really love to see that unity coming through and we have a really unique opportunity to do that. As far as the biggest risk that I would see is with something like behavioral science, because like you said, we are looking for the silver bullet sort of an option. I think you run a risk of having people say, oh, you know, I tried behavioral economics once. It's not real. It didn't work. And there are so many things that weren't considered and it doesn't mean that it can't work. And if you have too many people getting a little bit of knowledge and then trying something and say, oh, that that's not a thing, I think it could be a real problem. So investing in it for the long haul of testing and science and understanding is going to help uh, overcome that. There's so much love for the iconic brands. That's not going to go anywhere. It's kind of rooted, right? It's just like indulgence and they're really iconic retro brands. So the opportunity, therefore, is that all of these new technologies, the impact that it's having on people's taste, whether that's in terms of flavor or it's in terms of style, that's really interesting and rich. These are legacy categories, right? Consumer goods, the way that they've been imagined is 200 plus years old. The danger is in imagining that that's going to be possible to continue ad infinitum without very deep rearrangement of resources. For example, one of the things that I've seen is like sustainability is now mainstreamed. It's just a mainstream concept. It's not a new concept. You wouldn't be disruptive if you spoke about sustainability right now. That to me says something about a shift from 20th century to 21st century approaches to business. Consumer goods is very deeply rooted, not only in 20th century, but in 19th century business models. So what are we going to do now? Because it's totally a different game. That's my concern. Absolutely. And that is the perfect cue for me to come to the ending of this episode. I'd like to personally thank all our incredible guests for this fantastic episode. At the end of the episode, I don't think I'm an expert in neuroscience but I'm better than when I started the episode. So here are my three key takeaways for you as a host. Takeaway number one, consumer experience is actually very simple. Ask what your consumer wants and where she wants to interact with you. Be present there. CX is just about establishing a human connection. Your brain is lazy, make it easy for her. Number two, our brains are inherently biased and weird. It makes sense to look at CX more and more through the lens of what I call the exotic sciences rather than rational thinking. Remember some of the phrases that were used, nudge, intuitive, easy, micro moments. And finally, number three, the future for us as boundaries blur across industries, we have to embrace working with content producers, media companies, and tech companies to truly define the future of consumer experience. 
And this is not just the metaverse. This is much bigger than the metaverse. With that, we bid adieu to this episode. Look forward to hosting you on another exciting one. Until then, I am Sandeep. Stay curious. If you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player so you don't miss new episodes. And if you can, a five-star Apple review goes a long way to help us connect with other curious thinkers like yourself, and we really appreciate it. The views expressed on this podcast are that of the show's creators, the foresight leaders within Mars Wrigley, and don't necessarily reflect the views of Mars or other employers. Future Imagined is a production of Stories Bureau, produced by Elisa Manjarez, with editing and sound design by Matha de Leon. Thank you.